He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We live in a messed up world. A messed up world where people have decided that the niceties of life are not utilities. The niceties of life are not, well, luxuries or things we'd like to have or things we should budget for, but that things are now basic human rights. We've been listening, and I know you've heard them elsewhere on the station. We've been hearing from people calling access to the Internet a basic human right. The CRTC is having hearings on the issue of Internet access. And suddenly you've got people coming forward and saying, yeah, yeah, Internet access, that's a basic human right. I don't deny that access to the Internet in the modern world, if you want to function at the pace that we all do, and if you're in a job that requires it, absolutely necessary. But is it a right? And this gets into a very philosophical area. Because to me, to me, real rights are those that stop the government from forcing me to do something. Or that stop the government from acting upon me. But when you say internet access is a basic human right, well, suddenly there's a a requirement, a requirement for someone to Provide that internet access. Hmm. Who's going to provide the internet access? And at what cost? Believe it or not, people believe we we need to have low-cost internet forced upon the internet companies that provide it. Whether it be Bell, parent company of this station, and I'm not doing this because I... Want to sit here and defend Bell? I've never done that. But whether it be Bell or Rogers or Videotron, Kojiko, Tech Savvy, there are a pile of options out there. But activists now are before the CRTC and they're appearing on this radio station and they're saying Internet is a basic human right. One of them is a gentleman named Blaine Cameron. He's with a group called ACORN. ACORN is an organization that I can't believe ever got off the ground in Ottawa. I'd like to know who funds them. This is an organization that started in the United States. It's an organization that used to get an awful lot of government money in the United States until several of their branches were, it was, unveiled. giving advice to people on how to set up brothels using underage women and not pay taxes. That's right. Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, Hannah Giles uncovered what was going on with ACORN in the United States, and they lost all kinds of government funding in the United States. And then shortly thereafter, as ACORN is being... No one wants to be associated with ACORN. They show up in Ottawa. They show up in Hamilton. I think they're active in Toronto as well. 
Association of Community Organizations, I believe is what ACORN stands for. And they're one of the groups pushing for this. Blaine Cameron was on with Rob Snow yesterday trying to claim that we need to have the government force affordable Internet on the big telcos. The U.N. has designated its uh, Internet as an essential service uh, that should be available to everyone uh, at an affordable cost. And uh, so we're advocating that uh, the, uh, the, the big telecoms in Canada should, uh, if, if people fall below a certain income level, they should, be, uh, they should have access to affordable Internet that uh, does not uh, you know, impact their food budget and, uh, and allows them to access uh, all that there is to, to access on the Internet. And you know, when I made very little money and everything impacted my food budget, I never remember people saying we need to have the phone be a basic human right. Right now, if you go with Bell Fibre, 25 megabytes per second, which is the speed he wants for $10, is $37.95 a month, or from $37.95 a month. You can get cheaper if you want to go with groups like National Capital Freenet, which is a volunteer organization that's there to provide low-cost Internet. You can find cheaper if you want to go with a reseller that doesn't have some of the bells and whistles. But why is this being pushed as something that the government must provide? Let me tell you what a real right is. And we'll have Matt Bufton in from the Institute for Liberal Studies in a couple of minutes to talk about this. But a real right is the right to freedom of speech. And freedom of speech says the government cannot stop me from speaking my mind. A real right is freedom of association. The government cannot stop me from associating with people I want to associate with. Now, there's obviously exceptions to that, such as if we're all known criminals out on bail, well, you get together for a party of known criminals out on bail, you might get into trouble. But that's the exception, not the rule. If I want to get together and advocate for free Internet for all, the government can't stop me. A real right is freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of belief. Internet access is not a basic human right. And I will go and argue that one of the other things, and this really annoys me, because my own church advocates for this, that water is a basic human right. And I say no. Water is not a basic human right because that implies that someone must provide it to you. And what if I decide that I want to set up my house on the top of a mountain where there's no wells, no streams, but water's a basic human right, so someone has to bring me the water. What if I decide I want to live on the top of a mountain where there's no Internet access? Internet access is now a basic human right. Hmm. Someone's got to provide it. David Christopher is another individual that is claiming that water is a basic human right. He says, well, look, come on, it's 2016, folks. We, let's get with it. He's sounding like Justin Trudeau. It's 2016. 
2016, uh, uh, the Internet really is such a, an important part of, of all of our everyday lives now. Uh, it's not just a great tool to uh, communicate with uh, friends and family and, and work colleagues, uh, but it's also a, a really indispensable education tool. It's used for all kinds of healthcare purposes, um, uh, people who want to go and find work. Uh, it really is an, a, such an essential part of our everyday lives. Uh, but the problem is, if it is 2016 and yet we have still have large parts of our society, large parts of our community uh, that don't have home internet access, either because they live in a poorly served area or because they simply cannot afford uh, uh, the really high prices uh, that the big telecom companies are charging. The high prices. Is internet access really a basic human right? Matt Bufton from the Institute of Liberal Studies, standing by. We'll get into a bit of a seminar discussion on what real rights are versus fake rights. Because the more we add to the idea of this is a right, that's a right, the more we invite government into our lives, what we're going to discuss is the difference between negative rights and positive rights. The negative right is the classic definition of rights, what the government can not do to you. The government can't force you to believe something. The government can't force you to say something. But now we've got this idea of positive rights, which is mainly an idea that comes from the progressive left side of the aisle that says, I have the right to get something. To me, this is the wrong way to go. We'll get into a deeper discussion on that. Stick around. Matt Bufton, Institute of Liberal Studies, standing by. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So what's a right, what's not a human right? That's the question we're discussing right now. Matt Bufton joins me now. He is with the Institute for Liberal Studies. And, Matt, before we get into that, because if people haven't uh, heard you on the radio before, fill, me, fill us in on what the Institute for Liberal Studies is. That that name may drive some CFRA listeners. It might make them itchy. Let I me can, just say that. Lean in a bit. I can understand why that might uh, happen. Yeah, we're the Institute for Liberal Studies. And uh, lately I've been saying to people that we are Adam Smith liberals, not Justin Trudeau liberals. So <laughs> we're, we're taking that name back, uh, trying to restore the meaning it had through the 18th and 19th century, uh, which is an emphasis on liberty both in the economic and political spheres. So the idea of the Internet is a basic human right. We played uh, Blaine Cameron from uh, he's with Acorn. David Christopher's with Open Media. They're both saying, well, I mean, it's 2016. We need the Internet. So someone needs it. Does that make it a basic human right? Absolutely not. No, uh, we talked a bit earlier about uh, sort of this conception of rights. And, and uh, one way of phrasing it is uh, a, a conception that was distinguished by uh, the philosopher Isaiah Berlin. And he talked about negative and positive uh, rights. Um, but that's a little bit confusing, especially, and it's got this problem that libertarians and economists often have. They, they use words in a way that's confusing to other people. So in, in Isaiah Berlin's case, uh, a negative liberty uh, is not a bad thing, but it's, a, it's something that should be 
be safeguarded, uh, someone's uh, right not to be killed, not to be robbed. A positive liberty is a demand on someone that they do something for you. Uh, I like actually, my children saying, feed me. Exactly. <laughs> and I, yeah, as a parent, I do have a responsibility to that. But I... I don't have a responsibility to give you internet. Exactly. I don't have a responsibility to give my children internet access, no matter how much they whine about their iPod not working right. And you can imagine all sorts of, if the internet was a human right, I can imagine some interesting cases where dad took away the internet, mom took away the internet, and uh, I was deprived of my basic human rights, and now I want to be an emancipated child. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that yet. I'm amazed that I hadn't thought of that I bet yet. your kids are already drafting up a Declaration of Universal Children Child Rights. Oh, they sometimes listen. So, yeah. I apologize that, if I gave them ideas. That's happening. But, okay, so let's delve deeper. Negative right, positive right. I mentioned this in passing in the last segment. The idea of a negative right, that is essentially what the government cannot do to you, right? Exactly. I, I think, and, and I think that's what most of us used to view as rights. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think largely people still do. The, the negative rights will be non-controversial. So a PJ O'Rourke has what I think is a better way of describing this. He talks about get out of here rights and give me rights. So uh, your get out of here rights are the, the government can't take your property. They can't uh, murder you, assault you, jail you, all the stuff. And if they tried, you'd say get out of here. The give me a right is the opposite thing. That's where you go to the government and you say, give me Internet, give me a minimum wage, give me this, give me that. Is he still writing P.J. O'Rourke? Uh, he's certainly still speaking. I saw him at a conference about a year and a half ago. He used to love him. I mean, back to the days of National Lampoon. Mm -hmm. He would be discussing politics, right-wing politics, in a way that kids could get. He does. He describes things in a way that I think is uh, really intuitive and easy to understand for people without PhDs in economics. Yeah, because I don't have I, – I was trying to listen to – somebody sent me uh, a video of Hayek with William F. Buckley from Firing Line. And about two minutes in, I'm like, why would anyone watch this? This is bloody awful. you got to imagine the, the attention span for TV like that was much higher 30, 40 years ago. I have a pretty good attention span for politics. It was just awful. Yeah, you got, you got to focus. And Hayek, he's German. He talks in long run-on sentences, but there's great stuff there. Run-on sentences with a thick accent. Look, I, I understand thick accents. If you've met my, ever met my parents, you'd know that I understand thick accents. Uh, okay, so negative rights is that a Canadian tradition, or when did people start saying, gimme stuff is a right? There's, uh, there's a lot of debate about this. Uh, I, I think if, uh, if you're going to look at where the line happened, it's probably somewhere about 1960, sort of the, the Pearson years going into the Trudeau years, which it gets really bad. If you look at Canada's history, I think there's a really strong case being made by people like Brian, Nelly Crowley, and Janet Eisenstadt that uh, the Canada's founding was on this conception of negative liberties, a land where government would give you basic safeguards and you would be free to try and make the best life you could. Uh, I used to recommend a book edited by uh, Janet Asianstadt all the time, Canada's Founding Documents. If people want to know what Canada was really about, now it's dry uh, and you need an attention span probably greater than watching a Hayek and William F. Buckley video, but it has all the debates about how Canada was set up. It's the debates in the, the Parliament of the United Canadas, Ontario and Quebec, the debates in Nova Scotia, in New Brunswick, even in PEI. And I can't remember if Newfoundland's in there. I, I don't think so, but I, I'd but, have to go um, back to be sure. All, all the provinces that were invited to join PEI, of course, didn't in the beginning. And um, it's fascinating to watch them or read them as they discuss liberty in a way that we just don't hear discussed anymore. And the fact is they viewed 
our political system as safeguarding us from government intrusion. Absolutely. There's a, there's a line, it's either in that book or a related one, by an MP, a Richard Cartwright, who says, uh, I, for myself, prefer British liberty to American equality, which is interesting given how we would view, a lot of people would view the Canadian-American dynamic now. Uh, we think of the Americans as being grounded in liberty, and we have this other sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, composition, but it wasn't viewed universally that way at the time. Uh, that is, in, in fact, in Canada's founding documents. I recall that. So you, your memory is good on that. So positive rights comes from where is this is this a a marxist thing is this the frankfurt school is this just general leftism or or am i being unfair to the left in saying that it's them that came up with this craziness i think you're onto something i'd be hard-pressed to tell the exact uh origin but i certainly associate it with the progressive era in, in the uh, U.S. where a lot of these ideas came from and that uh, that the government was moving forward. They had the great founding document that secured for most people um, uh, the basic negative rights. Uh, and then uh, then the progressive movement came along and they, instead of looking at government as a safeguard of people's liberties, started to look for government to almost be a parental figure. So we're talking Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Exactly. And, and certainly Franklin Roosevelt has a speech where he talks about freedom from and he talks about uh, – sort of really advocating government to do positive liberties, which is a huge part of what the New Deal is based on. Okay. We're going to take a break in a moment and uh, and get back to this and discuss uh, why the, we'll get into specifics about the Internet, but also water and uh, and where this leads if we go to him. Speaking with Matt Bufton, he is – what's your official title? I always just say you're with the, the Institute for Liberal Studies. I'm the executive director. Executive director. I, I'm bad with titles. Matt Bufton, Executive Director of the Institute of Liberal Studies. Uh, give a plug for your website if people want to find out more about you. Liberalstudies.ca and especially our Freedom Week seminars for students. Okay. Uh, more with Matt Bufton coming up because liberty is essential and the Internet is not a basic right. Let's get this straight, folks. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So, the internet as a basic human right. Is it a human right? Do you think it is? We didn't play the other clip of... Uh, of Blaine Cameron, did they? Let's play this. I'm, I'm sitting with Matt Bufton. He's executive director of the Institute of Liberal Studies. And there's a push on to try and get the CRTC to declare that the Internet is a basic human right. Now, the CRTC is a regulatory body. And as far as I'm concerned, they neither create nor guarantee rights. Matt? Uh, yeah, that's what I'd agree. That's how it should be. Although I suspect there are some people at CRTC who would love to have a new mandate to create some rights. All right, let's play the the other clip of Blaine Cameron. This is a gentleman from Acorn, and he's of the view that we really need to be focused on the idea. Stephen, we're good to go? Okay, here's Blaine Cameron from Acorn describing why he thinks the Internet, uh, number two, cut two, why he thinks the Internet is a basic human right. That's so essential for uh, finding work, maintaining employment, um, accessing government services, uh, especially for uh, disabled people like myself, I, I use a power wheelchair, and uh, being able to access government services and uh, and whatnot online 
like that, that eliminates a lot of barriers for me. So uh, we're, we're saying this, this is essential. This is in, in this modern era, people need it. How do you define affordable? Well, we, we are advocating for uh, a $10 a month uh, internet. Um, currently, they, uh, I think Rogers has done a, uh, they did a pilot project in Toronto for the community housing there like people in community housing, and, and they're doing it here in Ottawa. And uh, we're kind of like, that. well, that's a start. Uh, okay. It should be available to, to people of low income. And, uh, and so, we're, yeah, we're saying $10 and uh, at least 25 megabytes per second. Uh, I think they're offering 10. All right. So apparently the Internet is uh, not fast enough as well. Uh, that was Blaine Cameron. He's with the uh, left-wing ad- advocacy group ACORN. I'm sitting with Matt Bufton from the Institute of Liberal Studies. So, Matt, what do you make of uh, Mr. Cameron's comments? I, I hear him say it's essential for getting and keeping work. I would also say pants are essential for getting and keeping work, and yet um, no one provides me with cheap pants uh, other than Giant Tiger. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, like you, I hear him saying two things. One, that the Internet is uh, very important, and I'd agree with that. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, second is that the Internet is therefore a right that should be government provided. Uh, I can go beyond pants. I talk about food. Uh, we obviously all need food, but I think the last thing we need is government farms and government grocery stores. Oh, that, that is a nightmare for me. Absolutely. I mean, you leave these things in the, in the hands of entrepreneurs who have a desire to satisfy a market demand. You don't give them to bureaucracies. The fact is, Internet is is affordable. If you want the very high speeds, if you want bells and whistles, it becomes more expensive. But you can get basic Internet. And if you want to spend a, a dollar a day uh, drinking coffee at McDonald's, you can get Internet access. It's like a lot of things. There's an entry-level price and there's a super deluxe sort of price, and uh, people can be free to figure out, figure out where they want to be. So I, I was describing earlier the idea of um, water and... Uh, this is where I get really angry at my church because they start saying, well, water is a basic human right. And, and they should know better, but well, we have Pope Francis now, and uh, he's from Argentina and has some socialist tendencies that drive me batty. Th- they start saying water is a basic human right or the Internet's a basic human right or anything that someone else must provide to you is a basic human right. Then at what point do we say, well, you're cut off? If you live on the mountain, Far away from everyone else, who's going to provide it? Yep, that's that's absolutely a problem. And uh, and I think well, water is a great example. You can look at some uh, developing countries. Uh, the UN declared water, I'm pretty sure, as a basic human right in 1948. Well, how long? Yeah, we still don't have uh, people don't have water in, uh, in developing countries, and even some parts of Canada are are struggling with that. Uh, much better off than having a piece of paper written by a government organization or a, uh, a multi-governmental organization. Yeah, is to if, have- if there's a right, there has to be a remedy. Exactly right. And then uh, then who enforces that? You get into a whole bureaucratic quagmire. Much rather have an incentive for entrepreneurs to figure out how to get me the water, how to get me the Internet, how to get me food, how to get me pants. Yeah. I, OK. Let, let's use a, a w- real world example. To use the Internet, you need a computer or computing device. It could be this little smartphone I have in my hand. Yep. It could be a tablet, could be the big clunky desktop next to me. These things used to cost an awful lot of money. I remember a friend of mine in 1992-93, he got a huge grant from the Ontario Student Assistance Program for his master's program. 
he needed a computer to run the stats that he was trying to do. He spent $5,000 from his student loan to buy the computer that he thought he needed. And by the way, we had we played a, a clip of a guy earlier saying, uh, internet costs should not affect your food budget. That affected Jason's food budget for an entire year to make sure he got the computer he wanted. I don't know anybody that pays $5,000 for a computer today, and that is, what, 24 years later? And I think we just have to be thankful the government didn't declare computers and cell phones human rights back in 1993, or we'd still be using pretty similar computers and cell phones to what they had back then. I think I'm paying close to what I paid. uh, I mean, if I wanted an entry-level high-speed Internet, it's far faster now than it was in, when did I get on the net? 95, 96, around then? Oh, yeah. And I'm probably pl- paying similar prices, at least for an entry-level package. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you know, I end up paying higher because I work in a, a, a media-heavy environment, and I need to be able to upload and download audio and video files quickly. Yeah. But if I want to just do what most people do, and that is check my email, go on Facebook, you know, that's... That's pretty easy to do. It is. It can all be done with a relatively inexpensive device, a phone. And I'd have to run the numbers, but I suspect that you could get your basic things cheaper from a cell phone without even having a uh, hardwired connection into your house. Uh, So why have the government mandating one sort of connection when today it's cell phones? Who knows what it's going to be in 10 years or five years from now? Let me ask you about this. And this is an unrelated topic, and I didn't tell you that I was going to ask you about this. But... um there is uh, at, at Heritage Committee this morning, and um, I'll probably be playing some audio of this later on. The uh, the Liberals and the New Democrats were calling for a Netflix tax because it's not regulated enough, and they want to force Netflix to pay for Canadian content. Is that the right way to get Canadian content? developed. And I only thought of this because as you're saying, hey, I can get a better internet access on my phone. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I think absolutely not. I think there's a great argument that Netflix is the best thing that's happened in Canadian content uh, in years. Because before, if you had a Canadian movie or TV show that you wanted to get in people's homes, you had to get on uh, one of the major networks or cable providers. Now, you can get on Netflix. You can make a side deal with Netflix or with Crave or, or with Show Me or any of those services. I think those are far more efficient ways for people who don't have big budgets to get their content available to consumers. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's an argument over whether Netflix should be paying uh, a sales tax like Show Me and Crave. You have to pay an HST on it. That's a different matter. And maybe that's fine. But, I mean, they're really talking about taxing them so that they can fund other people's productions. Exactly. And what they really want to do is punish what is, like I said, one of the best ways of getting that Canadian content to people, and not just Canadian, but all sorts of diverse content. I mean, Netflix essentially forced the creation of Show Me and Crave. Exactly. I was actually listening to a a bit on the news this morning saying that Netflix is 40% of uh, of internet traffic in Canada. Now, if you take that as given, this was an argument, a discussion about uh, a government broadband strategy. They had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, How can we know if we have some sort of government broadband strategy, what the internet is going to look like in even two or three years? Uh, A big chunk of uh, cell phone use is now Facebook. Yep. Facebook, Twitter, and believe it or not, WhatsApp. Which uh, is not used widely in Canada. Yeah. But when you go over to Europe, the Middle East, it's very popular there. Big countries that use that a lot. Yeah. India, it it is huge. Uh, Governments can't figure these sorts of things out. And and the fact is, I mean, you know, we started the rebel when Sun News went down. Uh, Are they going to tax us on that? 
I don't think that's, you know, we're creating an awful lot of Canadian content without a government subsidy. I don't think we need a to be taxed to pay for somebody else to create what we're already creating. Yeah, well, they'll probably try and tax you as long as you're making any money, and as soon as you stop, they'll want to give you a subsidy. What, what's that Reagan line? Uh, if, it, uh, if it moves, tax it. If it uh, keeps moving, regulate it. If it dies, subsidize it. Something like yeah, that. Okay, that sounds about right. Matt Bufton from the Institute for Liberal Studies. You can find out more at liberalstudies.ca. You got it. All right, and you've got a... You got for students. You have student seminars, and then in the summer, do you still have your big powwow? We have our big powwow. That's uh, we're still working on the dates for that. Um, but uh, our big thing for this summer, we've got two Freedom Week seminars. Seminars, are week long seminars, totally free for students, but they do have to apply by April fifteenth. All right, check that out. Liberalstudies.ca. Matt Bufton, thanks so much. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Don't go away. When we come back, a blast from the past, including well, particularly my past. Sheila Cops on. The replay, her interview with Evan Solomon earlier today on what it was like to be an MP with a kid way back when. News Talk 580 CFRA. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So um, the Golden Palace had a, a special egg roll day for stuntman Stu, raise money for cancer research. Just seen it uh, 527, CFRA's Twitter feed. Golden Palace runs out of egg rolls. Awesome. We'll see how much money they raised for, uh, for leukemia research. And uh, stuntman Stu is just an animal. He keeps going. We'll, uh, we'll talk to him again soon about his whole T-shirt campaign, his uh, fundraising campaign. I mean, talk about getting handed lemons and making lemonade. Coming up later in the program, we will, uh, we're going to check in with Rick Smith, one of my favorite socialists, uh, because he lets me call him a socialist and make fun of him. And also we'll debate. There's an awful lot of people on the left. I've, I've been at this a long time. And I'm sure there's people on the right that won't debate people on the left and so on. But when you're in opinion radio or opinion television, you need to be able to debate with people. And the fact is the political world is full of compromises. I know that can be a dirty word these days, but you need to be able to discuss and see where people are coming from and talk to them and so on. Rick Smith is willing to do that. We will talk to him. Later on, we will also talk to uh, Anthony Fury from uh, the Ottawa Sun He'll be dropping by Gary Dimmick from the Ottawa Citizen on the latest at the Ottawa Carleton Jail. A guy you're probably not going to cry too much over, um, this guy uh, committing suicide in the jail cell. But it, it does raise questions about what's going on with the jail. Gary Dimmick, best crime reporter we got going. We'll talk to him. And uh, Tony Bernardo on a crazy story on what some police organizations are doing to deal with the issue of gang crime. I keep warning they'll go after law-abiding gun owners because they don't know how to deal with real crime. Well, they're doing it. Not in Ottawa, but you always have to be vigilant. Right now, though, it's time for the replay. And Sheila Copps, Sheila Copps, my my dad's old MP and uh, a woman that I know well from my days back in The Hammer, she was on with Evan Solomon earlier today. They're talking about the whole issue of work-life balance for families when you are in a high-stress job like being a member of parliament. 
Now, listen, what happened to that committee? What did you tell committee about finally making the House of Commons a little more family friendly? Well, I mean, things happen in steps. And when I first came to Parliament, they literally had a bathroom for women every second floor. So I think progress has definitely been made. But what I said was um, when my daughter was born, she just turned 29 last month. And um, they had a very good uh, child care for toilet-trained kids, but from zero to two and a half, you're basically on your own. And I think one of the issues they really need to take a look at extending the child care for, uh, for babies, infants. I think the other thing is, um, you know, as members of parliament, we also, certainly the, the focus was really positive because all the different parties were looking for solutions, how to change the hours, how to sort of be... Um, maybe a little more innovative, allowing boats, uh, long-distance boats, was one of the requests uh, from one of the presenters who's actually a current parliamentarian from Abitibi-Temiskaming. So it was, a, it was an interesting conversation because it was not adversarial. People were really looking for solutions. Now, people may not remember, but if I is, am I right to say that you were the first sitting MP to give birth, 1987? Is that right? Yes. How, how, did, so how, was, how did how did how did people handle it then? Well, it was uh, at the time it was uh, it was so historical that her picture was literally plastered over the front page of every newspaper in the country. It was a huge, huge story, and even to this day, I meet women, in particular women, but also men, who say, "Oh, my daughter was born the same time as yours." My son. People often remember when that. she was born more than any other moment in Parliament. So. Well, that's I, I, interesting. And, and, but, and by the way, there's a bit of a story there. I mean, look, you faced a lot of chauvinism, and, and I get that. But even in 1987, there was kind of a famous incident um, with Ronald Reagan. What happened? <laughs> well, I told that to the committee this morning because um, they're talking about sometimes being a member of parliament and being a mother is uh, you're juggling two different things. So she was born on the 26th of March. And Ronald Reagan came to Parliament around the 4th of April, and I wanted to hear him. So I went into the House. I was breastfeeding at the time. And for any of your listeners who are women, when you are breastfeeding, you have to express or extrude every couple of hours, or there becomes a buildup. So he was in giving a speech. Mr. Mulroney gave a speech. The Speaker gave a speech. And afterwards, we were out in the out in the the, uh, parliamentary uh, entrance sort of looking to uh, to see what the media was up to. And my colleague of the day, whose name was Jean-Claude Malipar, who used to be part of the Rat Pack, he looked to me, he said, Sheila, he said, you've got a problem. And I looked down and I had sort of worn this soot blouse, which was a big mistake. Um, and it was covered in sort of these giant milk bed stains. <laughs> so I had to sort of bolt and go to the bathroom and try and get myself a new blouse quite quickly. So these are some of the things that you don't think about, like carrying an extra blouse or you know, um, having a speech go on too long. And one of the discussions today was even literally having a, when there's a very long period of vote, have a 15-minute break every two hours, not just for nursing women, but also if somebody's got health issues and they need to uh, go to the bathroom or something. You yeah, know? I know. I, practical thing. There's just, of course. I mean, <laughs> we could talk about, you know, back in 1987, you just couldn't mention that. Everyone got squeamish. But you can actually talk about that stuff now, you know, whether whether you're a woman who's breastfeeding or whether, you know, you could be an older guy who just needs to go to the bathroom regularly. Exactly. That's and don't like, you remember let's Pat face Martin's it. Tight underwear. 
Well, I don't remember them personally, <laughs> Sheila. I remember no, no, he referenced them. I don't know what you're inferring them. there. No, no but of course he, he referenced. Leave, he had to leave a vote because his underwear was too tight. I know. Yes. No, but I so think I there think there are reasons. Now, Sheila, you know, and I'm speaking with <laughs> Sheila Cops. I think we're speaking about parliamentarians, and then Pat Martin's own category. <laughs> Pat would say anything. Of course, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> for, former member of the NDP, and that's true. He did talk about his tight yeah. gitch, which I thought was one of those moments in Parliament, which was, <laughs> which was lighthearted. And anyway, but I mean, on a serious note. Um, is there any pr- what practical changes no. I, 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 I mean, might on a you suggest? Note, the last time there was a major child care reform was when Jan Sauvé was the speaker, and it was before I even came to Parliament. You really need to take a look at expanding um, the child care system, making it more flexible so that when there are evening votes, you don't have to run and grab your kids and, and pull them out, and also looking at infant care. And I think because the House of Commons is being redone, the whole parliamentary precinct, it's a great time to maybe rethink a more uh, a larger uh, system of child care, which is available not just for members of Parliament, but also all the employees on the Hill and also yeah, and the press all gallery. press gallery. Yes, yeah, absolutely. you can have this. So there is child care facilities there, and, and that might be something that would be very helpful because there are times when Parliament's sitting where you're voting right late into the night. Well, and also the way it works now, they finish at 6 o'clock, so you have to pick your child up. So we were talking earlier, my daughter used to spend between 6 and 7.30, kind of running around the, the anteroom because she was never allowed in, into the house. And now they allow babies into the house. But there is an issue. And if there's a way of fixing it, it, it should, it, the timing is perfect because they are moving into the new building. Yeah. And sometimes you can put some more physical structure in, yeah, have a late-night uh, setup. All right. That was Sheila Cobbs on with Evan Solomon earlier today. Talking about this whole issue of work-life balance, I was discussing this with an MP and uh, there's a division in some senses. Everyone agrees, hey, make Parliament friendlier to people that have families because Parliament can take a toll, whether you're talking about MPs, you're talking about staffers, you're talking about journalists, that life where the day begins in the early hours and sometimes can go to late at night that can definitely take a toll. But does that mean that you have to change everything about it, including stopping work on Fridays. I mean, they would still work, but they wouldn't sit on Fridays. That is a bigger discussion. But that was Sheila Copps talking with Evan Solomon about the need to try and, and, and find a better balance than they have now. Definitely not going to disagree with that. When we come back, Rick Smith, my favorite socialist, dropping by to talk about the whole, well, the NDP convention, Turfing Tom... Back in moments. News Talk 580 CFRA. It's not quite the internationality, but it's close. Maybe a bit more, um, a bit more appropriate for our next guest. A little bit of Billy Bragg. It, it, Rick Smith is the uh, the executive director over at the Broadband Institute. Rick, is there still power in a factory? Power in the land? Power in the hands of the worker? There certainly is, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in Billy Bragg. We actually played him at our wedding. 
Oh. So I feel I feel very honored to be I, followed, to having that as my soundtrack today. I I hope you didn't um, you know have your your bride walk in to Billy Bragg. <laughs> I'm hoping this was at the reception. It was later at night after okay. we'd had many a good pint, as, as, one, as one needs to be when listening to Billy Bragg. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you were at the, the big NDP powwow on the weekend. Uh, Tom yeah. Mulcair turfed. Uh, the Leap Manifesto all but adopted, endorsed. I, I don't know how to put it, but, I mean, let's just say that it, it got better reviews than Tom Mulcair did. Last week when we were talking, you alluded to the fact that the NDP had been transformed into a an organization that could contend for power. Do these two things uh, mean the party's taking a step back from that? No, not at all. And I will confess that, that if you were trying to follow what happened at the NDP convention through the mainstream media, you'd be very confused. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, the, the, the NDP is a party uh, – uh, uh, you know, going through a period of reflection and rejuvenation. Uh, the 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 media is absolutely wrong that the convention was divided. In fact, the the leadership vote on Tom, uh, for good or ill, is absolutely unprecedented. I mean, I've, I've been doing interviews all week, and no political observer I talk to has ever seen something like that as as decisive an outcome for a leadership vote like that. And then, you know, the, the, the same convention gave Rachel Notley about 12 standing ovations for her incredible speech talking about the link between the, the necessary link between jobs creation and uh, natural resource development and uh, narrowly voted for a consultation, a discussion on the LEAP manifesto the next day, not in favor of the manifesto, but, but a, uh, a discussion of some of the principles within it. So. You know, this is a party that's, you know, every great party, every serious political party needs to engage with serious issues. And the serious issues today that Canadians are concerned about are job creation, uh, fighting climate change, and uh, rejuvenating our democracy. And that was what was on the agenda of the convention. Okay, so why is it me, the unrepentant conservative, defending Tom Mulcair? Because I think Tom got a raw deal, and Tom and I don't see eye to eye on a whole lot. But why am I defending Tom Mulcair instead of you, the unrepentant socialist? Because, yeah. I mean, let, let's face facts. I kept hearing from New Democrats, well, we lost the last election. When was the last time anyone seriously talked about the NDP potentially winning an election? Tom is a big part of the reason, not the only reason, but a big part of why the party were seen as contenders from the start of the campaign at the beginning of August until the middle of September. Well, you know, a number of things happened in the lead up to the convention that, that clearly uh, put Tom in a box he couldn't get out of. I mean, the, the, the interview that he gave a couple of days before the convention to Peter Mansbridge, where he, he uh, either wittingly or unwittingly said that he wanted to leave the oil in the ground in Alberta, uh, really uh, uh, angered Alberta delegates. Uh, I don't think that uh, the folks who were on board with the Elite Manifesto, really uh, viewed him as a great champion. And so I think he was kind of caught betwixt and between and, uh, and wasn't able to present a coherent vision that the, that, the, that brought people together. Uh, and you see the result of that in the vote. So, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the NDP is going to have a leadership convention in the next uh, year and a bit. 
the NDP talent pool has never been deeper. Some great candidates are going to come forward, and, and you're going to see the NDP go through a process much like the Tories are going through right now, where uh, where there's an interim period, uh, a bit of inward focus, uh, so that the party can come out stronger than ever. Well, and the downside, though, is that as both parties search for a full-time leader, the liberals in some way are going to get a free pass. To a degree. Yeah, that's true. But, but, but Campbell, Campbell Clark had a great piece in the Globe on this today, and he said, uh, yeah, maybe the, maybe the liberals have uh, you know, an easy ride at the moment, but, but one difficulty for them is they, they, actually are, they actually have a lack of clarity about who they're going to be facing in a year and a half. And, and I think that's right. I mean, the, 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 one, um, uh, the one thing that we now know about, uh, about the next federal election is that uh, Justin Trudeau will be up against some, uh, some new quantities in, in terms of uh, other leaders, and that'll be exciting. I want to ask you about troubles that uh, Trudeau and his liberals are having, but uh, first let me ask you this. You are an unrepentant socialist, but you have said that uh, you believe a capitalist system properly constrained, I think that's the term you used last week, that, that it, it can be pretty good. The Leap Manifesto, I think, goes further than the words I've heard you use. It, it talks about um, community ownership of factories. It, does, it doesn't say, no, it does not say leave the oil in the ground, but it says no yeah. more pipelines, no more infrastructure. Uh, okay, so you're essentially trying to choke the industry, the oil industry. Is the, the Leap Manifesto taking the NDP back to, if they adopt the ideas, and you're right, it's a discussion, but I found it to be a fairly um, open concept or, or open acceptance of it. Does this lead the NDP back to the, the, the old days of woolly socialism? No, not, not at all. And again, if, if, if the Leap Manifesto itself, and you're quite right, some of the language in there is, uh, is pretty hard-hitting, and uh, you know, I don't agree with some of it. Uh, but uh, if the Leap Manifesto itself had been put to a vote, it wouldn't have passed. What, the reason that that vote passed is because people are hungry for a, a, uh, a well-reasoned, fact-based, sober discussion about the challenges facing the country, and there is no greater challenge facing our country than, uh, than what kind of economy we're going to have in the future and how we're going to do right by Canadians from coast to coast. And, uh, you know, my organization was, uh, was very positive on the groundbreaking uh, Alberta climate change announcement in the fall. Uh, that is the kind of leadership that, that, uh, that we need to see in this country. You know, oil companies, environmental groups, First Nations, trade unions, all up on stage saying, look, we're going to jointly put our shoulder to this wheel. Yes, we don't have all the answers, but we're going to we're going to start talking about uh, and being honest about about uh, the challenges facing the country. Right. So that's why that vote passed, not because there's any unanimous uh, delights in in the elite manifesto itself. All right, Rick. Let me ask you. Uh, I, you know, this is an easy. This is a gimme for you. Uh, Couple of liberals in in trouble this week. Do you want to take shots at them? I've been taking shots at them all week. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the justice minister, for goodness' sakes, going to Tory's yeah. law firm, and I love that irony. She's going to Tory's law firm uh, for a fundraiser with a bunch of lawyers paying five hundred bucks as she's sitting on more than three dozen judicial appointments, as she's looking for which law firms to hire out for the missing and murdered Aboriginal women's. In, uh, inquiry 
And yeah. uh, she's fundraising off of lawyers. The NDP and the Conservatives have been blasting her all week. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a great truism in, in politics um, that it's often not the deed itself that gets you in trouble. It's, it's how you handle the explanations of it after the fact, right? And, uh, and uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is a very impressive character. Um, and her explanations for what happened in that instance are just not really consistent or... Well, I mean, she's uh, or, just or, she's just there as an MP from Vancouver, Granville. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I would, over the last few weeks, it's been really interesting to watch the liberal brand coast to coast get tarnished with uh, really weird and inexplicable fundraising scandals. So here in Ontario... Uh, the revelations in the Toronto Star and other places that uh, that actually cabinet ministers have a quota, a fundraising quota that they need to meet. And again, uh, f- fundraising off of um, people that they essentially regulate. That do like, business with their ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bob, Bob Chiarelli and Charles Souza. Yeah. And, and the, so the wind government's been in full on uh, a panic mode for the last two weeks with, with literally a new announcement every day on how they're going to crack down on this thing that they themselves caused. Uh, and then meanwhile in BC, Christy Clark is also in the middle of uh, some really outrageous stuff. So, you know, the Liberal Party, apparently, wherever you are in the country, uh, needs to do a lot of work to uh, to clean up its act when it comes to raising money from people that, uh, that, that they're in business with. All right. Uh, you and I would likely have different views of the Panama Papers. I, I can guarantee that. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are being dragged. How could you? Again, I find you so mystified. What, how, do you, this is about outright tax evasion. Well, it do you de- not? It, it depends. Do you not, do you not agree that people should 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 abide by the law? It it depends. Everyone is being smeared as a tax evader, even though some of what they're doing is completely legal. Uh, and, and I just want to point to Bill Morneau. I don't know if you saw this, but in the uh, Le Journal de Montréal last week. They revealed yeah. that Morneau Chappelle has um, tax. Uh, they they have wholly owned subsidiaries in Delaware and Bahamas, two well known tax haven jurisdictions, and the yeah. liberals are just skating past this and saying, "Oh, that, but that's legal, and we we don't want to do anything about people that are doing legal things, just the bad people." Well, I, I remember back in the Paul Martin days, there was that uh, flap about the flags that he that his ships were were flagged on. Do you remember that? That, yeah, uh, he it, was it, essentially it, it, going to low tax jurisdictions and and yeah. lower uh, labor standards. That's right. He was he was he was registering ships that were only operating in Canadian waters under foreign uh, flags to escape essentially uh, Canadian regulations. So, so sometimes you know, yes, things might be legal according to the letter of the law, but they're certainly not. Uh, they're, they're they're not in the mainstream of what Canadians would consider ethical behavior. Uh, and that's that's where we're at with these Panama Papers. I mean, it's, uh, it's not not everybody, not every Canadian has access to a uh, a registered Cayman Island company. You don't. Uh, and no, I don't. I, I'll no. invite you to the next meeting. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I am I look, joking. I do. I, I don't. Look to that. I don't have that kind of money. But our emails will be uh, hacked and laid bare for the public to see. So you know, I, I think the Panama Papers thing is fantastic and, and shining some light in those dark corners of uh, financial transactions is very helpful. And and that I'm in favor of. But uh, I mean, if you're doing business in the States uh, and, and you want to be setting up in 
the lowest tax jurisdiction you can. You go to Delaware. That's fine. But if you're doing business in Central America, I guess you'd do the same thing. My, my only problem with the Panama Papers is it's smearing everyone, and, and that's what I don't like. Uh, everyone's presumed guilty until they're proven innocent, and, and that's not the way our system works. So. Well, think of, it, think of it this way, Brian. I mean, you're, you're not in favor of raising taxes on the vast number of Canadians. If we can just get the taxes paid that richer Canadians are evading, <laughs> then maybe we don't have to raise taxes quite so much on the rest of us. Oh, I've got numbers coming out later in the week on that, Rick. Uh, I'll hold my fire. Thanks for the time, though, and, uh, and thanks for uh, reminiscing with some Billy Bragg with me. Take care, thanks. Rick Smith with the Broadband Institute. Don't go away. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, we're talking with Rick Smith from the Broadband Institute about the, the, the Leap Manifesto, what happened at the crazy NDP convention. Let's bring in somebody who is saying off the get-go. Anthony Fury joins me now, Ottawa Sun columnist. He's columnist across all the Sun media papers. And Anthony, I, I like Rick Smith, but, you know, he's wrong. You, I, I'm more likely but not always agreeing with. Let me ask you about the Leap Manifesto and the fact that, as I, I talked about last week, there are a bunch of liberals, and others are starting to notice this, a bunch of liberals that endorse the ideas that are in there. Teeing me up is sane from the get-go. Not only is that the nicest thing most people have said about me, but the nicest thing you've said about me. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take I, it and I run with it. I can't say on air what I normally, the word I, I normally greet you with. I know. People would be scandalized to learn that the well-mannered Brian Lilly calls me calls me such funny bro terms. Um, yeah, Leap Manifesto. I mean, when you actually sit down and read it, it's one of those stranger-than-fiction things where I can write a column, as I did in my column in the papers today, and I'm describing it as what it is, which is like a New World Order document that wants to overhaul our entire economy in breakneck speed pace. And everyone's like, yeah, Fury, you're crazy. And then I put in the column in brackets, go to this website, leapmanifesto.org, read it, so you can see just how far left socialist extreme it is i i can't torque it brian i can't make it exaggerate it any more than it is i kept reading stories coming out on the weekend saying well the leap manifesto doesn't say leave the oil in the ground the leap manifesto doesn't say uh you know that that it's against oil but they would never quote the leap manifesto which literally says we can't have any more infrastructure built to support the oil or what they call the tar sands so they don't want Anything that helps get the product out of the ground, they don't want anything that helps the product get to market. It is death by a thousand cold cuts, to use a a, a Jerry uh, Ritz term. Yeah, it says we could live in a country powered entirely by renewable energy. Caring for one another and caring for the planet could be the economy's fastest growing sectors. And then it says we need immediate action on this. And it's lovely that they dressed up as caring for one another. But as we know, as, as Stalin and those guys taught us well, if you want to implement <laughs> a major – well, no, I mean, it, it's true. If you have this economic central planning that you want to implement quickly, you have to do it by, you know, by force. I don't mean – I'm obviously being theatrical here when I say it, but you're going to have to have policies that, that 
you know, force people to live a certain way or another. And if we force people to get out of uh, carbon usage rather than slowly bring us back from it, which is what's naturally happening right now. All these billionaires are investing money in green energy because they see that the future free market is going there. And they're losing their horizon. shirts. Well, no, Brian, I, I mean, maybe maybe you and I disagree here, but I think I think that it's heading in that direction. Because if you tell me, hey, do you want to buy a car for 20 grand in which you can just plug it into your garage and it only costs you 50 cents in electricity rather than 50 bucks at the pumps, would you take it? I take it in a heartbeat. Well, well we're I, not there I would, yet. but we're not I think there. We exactly. Will. And I think we will be there. Maybe we'll be there in, in 50 years. I don't know. And I'm probably not even alive then or something. But what, what a lot of people want to do and what the, the leapists want to do is they want to bring us there in five years. And the only way to do it is massive redistribution yeah. of wealth, punitive measures, uh, pretty much forcibly okay. shutting down the oil sands. Let, let, let me bring it back to the original question then. Liberals endorse much of this. Even the straight.com is, is a friend of mine keeps saying you can, you can listen to Brian Lilly now or catch up to everyone else a week later. And a week later, the straight.com, this left-wing organization, news organization out of Vancouver, has a story out saying, look, Jerry Butts supports this. Others in the liberals support this. Whether we're talking about how to shoot the oil sands, you can look to Jerry Butts, Marlo Reynolds. You look to uh, Jean-Yves Duclos about the guaranteed national income and national daycare. Liberals are, are all over what's in the Leap Manifesto. That should worry everyone. I was really disappointed when Paul Martin campaigned for Justin Trudeau because I think a lot of people in fiscal conservatives say, okay, the Liberal Party from from the mid-90s, a lot of things they don't like about it, but they were at least doing some fiscally conservative measures. Today's Liberal Party, it ain't your grandpa's party, it ain't your father's Liberal Party, it ain't your older brother's party. This thing has <laughs> moved it's moved radically far to the left in a very short amount of time. It's not Michael Ignatieff's party. It's a very different party. And and you're right that these these videos, which everyone can see at the straight.com, of Jerry Butts saying, "Yeah, we just don't really want a carbon economy at all." It's it's it, it's it's very far left stuff, which is why the NDP is imploding because there's no territory for them to cover. I'm really gra- glad that uh, the straight has posted that because I've been pointing this out. Ezra Levant has been post point, pointing this out, not just at the Rebel Media, but going back to Sundays, and people would say, "Yo, well, that, that's just the crazy right." Now you got the crazy left pointing it out. Look, it's true. This is what these guys think. And pseudo hats off to Rachel Notley. When you actually learn the numbers, learn the basic economics that average working folk and families have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, you realize it's not that easy to just say you want to shut down the oil sands. The fact that there are Aboriginal families out there for the first time in their life are making six-figure incomes by working hard in these sectors and your idea of helping the little guy is screwing over people like that, it, it just makes no sense to me. I mean, I, again, you and I are going to disagree on the time horizon maybe, but we're going to get there, folks. If the people want the Green Revolution, well, then the market's going to take us to the Green Revolution. We don't need some dictatorial Naomi Klein manifesto to force us there. But the only thing we'll disagree with is is maybe the timeline and how we get there, but you're right, we'll get there eventually. As our mutual friend John Robson has pointed out, a hundred years ago, the big environmental concern was horse urine and horse poop in the streets of every major city in North America. They didn't know what to do with it. And then the automobile came along and solved that problem. Anthony, thanks so much.
<laughs> Take care. Anthony Fury is uh, Ottawa Sun columnist, columnist across the Sun newspapers. You can check him out at uh, their website. I'll make sure in the break I post his, uh, his latest column on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Last night we played his interview with Evan Solomon and his discussion of a, a, a guy that ended up in solitary confinement despite being it being his first time in jail. And I, I gave great plaudits to Gary Dimmick. He's a crime reporter over at the Ottawa Citizen and uh, one of a dying breed of gumshoe reporters that gets out there and talks to people and figures out what's going on. Today, he helped break a story of a guy that died in jail overnight, Yusuf Muhammad Hussein, 27 years old, charged in May 2014 with a series of sexual assaults. He hanged himself with his own bedsheets in solitary confinement. And given what he's charged with, there's not going to be a whole lot of people crying over his demise. But the fact is, it does point to ongoing problems at the Ottawa jail. So I wanted to invite Gary on tonight and say, Gary, well, first off, thanks for coming on. Secondly, what the heck is going on at the Ottawa jail? Yeah, a lot. A lot is going on at the jail. Um, Today, yeah, you're right. There's not going to be a lot of sympathy for a guy like that. Mind you, untried. uh, Untried, and, I mean, there were DNA samples, but, you know, most people are going to just slough it off and say, well, whatever. Yeah, and if they want to slough off that one, at least use a little bit of the light on that story to shine, you know, more widely across the jail. You know, you've got the guy yesterday that I wrote about, um, Mitchia Raymond, 22, uh, may have lost his mind, may have actually lost his mind in solitary confinement on Innis Road, a record staggering 18 months in solitary confinement. You know, and this is, this is after weeks of stories in the news by colleagues Andrew Seymour, myself, CFRA people, you know, you've got overcrowding issues. There's, there's a lot going on. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you've already mentioned this to your listeners, but uh, the Yasker, the Yasser Task Force, um, the, the members of, of the now, task I, I, I was waiting for you to come on to, to talk about this in depth, yeah. but he's announced who's going to be on the task force. Right, yeah. So we've got uh, Marg Welch, who's Associate Deputy Minister of Correctional Services, Pauline Jones, Assistant Deputy Minister, Institutional Services, Mike uh, Wood, who's yeah, the acting superintendent out there. Acting superintendent after they let Maureen Harvey go. They let Maureen Harvey go a couple of days after uh, the Citizen and the Sun broke stories about the use of these dreaded shower cells that Yasser Nakfi has said now that, that he, he didn't know they were using them. More than that, he said that the, uh, the practice was appalling mm-hmm. and he banned them. Sure but, enough, but- a couple of days later... We find out again through the newspaper that uh, they're still using the uh, the shower cells that were banned. And it now, was that, uh, that day that, that they said, you know, Marine Harvey's, uh, she's no longer uh, superintendent. They put him in charge. Now he's going to be, Mike Wood, I don't know much about him. Um, he's going to be the acting superintendent, and so he'll be on that, uh, that task force. 
Randy Dennis, that's a name I've seen in the paper recently. He's at the uh, the regional office there. I don't know. Uh, yeah, oh, the you, union you, president you, will you, be there. You, you did Blair. tweet out about Dominic Lamb yeah, good from lawyer, the good Defense Council yeah, Association. He works over with uh, uh, Edelson's uh, law firm there, Edelson, uh, Edelson D'Angelo, Clif- Clifford D'Angelo uh, Solomon, and um, he uh, he's a, he's a good lawyer. He's he's actually working a homicide case this week. Uh, he was the lawyer who went to young Mathieu Raymond, 22, and he went to him after he'd spent like this, you know, 18 months in solitary. And uh, so Lamb, the lawyer, he uh, he goes to get instruction from his client, and it's at this point in time that he he is incapable of giving his lawyer instruction on how to proceed with his court case. What's interesting, Brian? What, what was this guy in for? This guy that spent 18 months in solitary. He was charged uh, with uh, he was charged with murder, uh, the murder um, of Andre Beauclair. That would have been back in uh, what was that October 2013. Mm-hmm. And so Beauclair, interestingly enough, had uh, been sentenced earlier. Big story for uh, longtime crime fans in Ottawa. Uh, Beauclair served 10 years of manslaughter. Uh, he was the getaway driver in the killing of a Crown witness named Earl Joe, and that was back in 97. In any event, he uh, he was charged with the Beauclair uh, killing, and so in he goes, and um, segregation or solitary confinement um, is, is sometimes used, is, you know, it, it's, it's punitive. It, it's, you're in there for bad behavior, and this is a guy, Mitchell Raymond. This is not a model inmate, Brian, by any stretch. Mm-hmm. He's fighting with inmates. He's fighting with the staff. And so, in 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 solitary confinement, he goes and uh, he stays there for a long, long time. Um, the threshold that the UN experts always cite is 15 days. They say anything past 15 days can cause psychological and physical harm. And this guy did a lot more than that. And it was. About a year ago, this yeah, we're April. Yeah, so it was about a year ago, this month that um, the same lawyer goes in and says, uh, "I, w- I want to make it very clear. Uh, you know, most people in jail uh, don't come from uh, straight-laced, uh, you know, backgrounds, and sometimes it's 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 hard to sympathize. So just straight out, uh, this guy is a drug dealer, uh, hard drug dealer, crack, and uh, he's in there awaiting the the killing the trial for murder, which I think he would have to wait." Well, they were, he, he was unable to give instruction. In any event, he was able a year ago to, uh, to give instruction to his lawyer to plead guilty on a drug charge. The judge back then, a year ago, gave him 12 months. So he spent 12 months, he served that sentence, and he was on remand awaiting trial uh, for the Beauclair trial. But he was found unfit, as you know, in yesterday's story. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he's going to stay at the uh, at the Royal Ottawa until rendered fit, if ever that happens. I don't know. I know that and, and it might, solitary it, confinement. It might have been due to solitary. Now, you and I were talking off air, yeah. And you mentioned that solitary confinement is sometimes used for punitive measures to punish somebody, and that was the case with this gentleman. But other times, people ask for it. Yeah. What? You know, in fact. Uh, for your listeners uh, at home or in their car or up in the air or on their, you know, iPod. But um, they have uh, a quarter of the population uh, is in segregation. Half of the people in segregation 
are guys that can't handle it in general population. So they will they will specifically request when they get into A and D or admissions and discharge, they will specifically request, hey, hands up, hey, I want my own cell. Segregation's fine for me. I I, I don't want to be involved with that zoo, right? Because that's not a friendly place. That's not like going to Walmart in Barhaven on a Saturday. Yeah, this is you know, you know, you got a packet of sugar and you know. That's a privilege, right? And you're you're playing poker to see if you eat dessert, you know. So, and but, uh, it's but kind the of fact a rough, is, double place, right? Fact and is, you've got a lot of beefs that are from the outside, and you've got gangbangers in there. And these and guys you've got are a regular bringing... guy that goes in there and say an ordinary decent criminal, and he and he walks in and he says, "I want to go in segregation." So that's half. Now the other half, uh, you've got mentally ill, you've got people that are being disciplined, as you mentioned. You've also got people that are being uh, protected, like uh, accused child molesters, um, anything to do with crimes against children. And then and the last category would be if someone's injured, for example, if you, you know, sprained your ankle or whatnot on one of the dorms, you know, and uh, you, you couldn't really, you couldn't really, you'd be really vulnerable, you know, if you were lying there with a, a broken ankle, right, you know, all day. But, yeah, there's a lot going on at the jail. I'm glad that... Uh, that all the stories are shining a light, you know, into the jail, and I'm glad that the, the minister seems to be moving along with this. Well, we, we got, It'll be interesting to see what that got, amounts to, but I, I have hope. Less than a minute left, Gary. Let, let me just ask you. I mean, you, you cover the trials. You cover the crimes as police are trying to solve them. At the end of the day, the people at the Ottawa-Carleton Detention Center out on Innis Road, these are people that haven't actually been convicted of anything. Sixty percent of, of the inmates on Innis Road are there they remain untried presumed innocent um until trial until so 40 trial 40 uh, percent know, have been convicted no for them right 40 uh, percent have been convicted or and, and they're just waiting move or what i i don't know the specific on the 40 percent but the 40 percent would definitely include people just like the the young man that hanged himself this morning um he was uh he was right there serving 12 months on a drug charge Right. Also awaiting a, a more serious trial. But that mm-hmm. one he was there for, you know, other guys are in there serving. You know, I know I met a uh, young man the other day that, that got out. Uh, he had served 21 days for something. You know, there's people serving sentences under two years. Right. Any sentence that's over two years, that would be a federal sentence and they would go off to a pen. Whereas uh, here at the jail, it's you know, remand people waiting for trial. You know, people that are serving sentences that are under two years, right? All right. Gary Gary Dimmick is crime reporter with the Ottawa Citizen. You can read him there, and I'd highly recommend it. Gary, thanks for the time tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Oh, hey, thanks for uh, having me on. Take care, Brian. All right, all the best. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association on what police are doing that should have you worried if you believe in law-abiding gun owners. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We'll be opening up the phone line soon. In the meantime, you can email me, Beyond the News at CFRA.com, because I'm getting lonely here. You guys aren't emailing me. I don't know what's going on. I will tell you what's going on out in Surrey, British Columbia, and 
it should worry law-abiding gun owners straight across the country, including right here in the nation's capital. In Surrey, they've had 32 shootings so far this year. That's more than the 19 that we've recorded in Ottawa. 32 shootings in Surrey, British Columbia, suburb of Vancouver. 19 shootings here in Ottawa. And what the Surrey detachment of the RCMP, because that's who the police are there, the Surrey detachment of the RCMP have decided that in order to deal with what is essentially gang crime, they're going to start visiting the homes of people that have restricted and prohibited firearms licenses. And they're going to make sure their paperwork is up to date. And they say this will help with gang crime. That's right. To, own a re- to have a restricted or prohibited permit is not easy in Canada. Not easy at all. It's easier to buy an illegal gun, but the RCMP says, let let me read you a quote. This is from Surrey RCMP Assistant Commissioner Bill Forty. He says, our aim is to reduce the number of illegally owned and unregistered firearms in Surrey, as well as enhance public and police officer safety. The majority of gun-related crimes in Canada are committed with guns that are domestically sourced. Well, I kind of doubt that that's the truth. So I want to bring on my friend Tony Bernardo. He's with the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, and he's been following this issue for a long time. Tony, the Surrey RCMP say the way, the way to deal with gun crime and gang crime is to focus on law-abiding gun owners. Is this the model that should be followed? Well, Brian, I, I really think that that would be a very foolish course of action. Uh, trying to solve a problem by avoiding it uh, never seems to work all that well. And I think that the Ottawa police really need to go after the gangs, not honest people. There does seem to be, um, fortunately in Ottawa, we haven't heard politicians coming out as all these shootings have happened and said, okay, well, we've got to, uh, we've got to jump on this and, uh, and, and deal with law-abiding gun owners. Although there was the, the incident with Ottawa City Councillor Jody Minnick being chastised by councillors and others for, for tweeting out pictures of his own legal gun. So there's still some apprehension about legal gun owners. But I worry that maybe the police will just um, you know, go on their own volition and say, like the police in Surrey, we don't know how to deal with this otherwise, so let's go to the, the source that we know. Yeah, right. They're going to try to deflect their inability to do anything about the gang crime by taking this and, and dropping it in the laps of the lawful people that own firearms. This is not just just disingenuous. It's morally bankrupt as well. I mean, this is an an immoral thing to do to people who are honest, law-abiding citizens. Let me ask you about what Surrey is proposing and and what they claim. So um, Surrey's RCMP Assistant Commissioner Bill Forty uh, says that we got to stop legal weapons ending up on the street. He says... Uh, the majority of gun crimes in Canada are committed with guns that are domestically sourced. In your experience, you've been following this for more than 20 years. Is that an accurate statement? No, it's outrageous nonsense. The Vancouver Police Department reports that 97% of the firearms that they seize on the Commission of Crimes come from outside Canada. And the National Weapons Enforcement Support Team, that's Canada's federal gun cops 
They say in British Columbia, 94% of the firearms used in the commission of crime come from outside Canada. So very, very clearly here, we're not dealing with the number even remotely close to what the deputy commissioner is saying. So, I mean, why would he make these type of of statements? And and I want to give Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordelow and the people down on Elgin Street headquarters kudos because they haven't gone this route. I always worry that they do because there are people in law enforcement that don't like civilian gun ownership. I don't think the chief's one of them, but I worry about this. But why would Assistant Commissioner Forty come out with comments like this? Well, uh, it seems obvious to me that it's because of their inability to deal with the gang issue. They must be getting tremendous uh, pressure from the, their local people to do something about this. Um, their inability to deal with gangs is legendary. Look at Toronto. Well, in Surrey, I mean, they are dealing with uh, a number of shootings. Uh, we've got 19 in Ottawa, six murders, but 19 shootings. Uh, six days ago, the total in Surrey was 32. 32 in the first uh, three and a bit months. That That is a fair number of shootings for a, a suburban, uh, what many would think of as a bedroom community. Absolutely. It's outrageous. But going after people who aren't the problem it is strictly just a smoke and mirrors deflection. The police need to get serious. And we all know, based upon historical evidence, that when the police do decide to get serious about it, they can have an enormously telling effect on this kind of gang crime. But they have to make that commitment first. Well, I, I know from speaking with law enforcement officials that um, one of the problems they have, and I assume this is everywhere, is often when it's gang crime, they know who committed the crime. It's proving it in a court of law. It's making an arrest that will stick versus what everybody on the street knows, including the cops. So I can feel for them at times, and I can feel their frustration. Uh, Tony, let me ask you this. Um, help people understand, because I, I was explaining this story to someone else today, and they said, well, wait a minute. Um, how can the police go and track down the these gun owners who are restricted and prohibited gun license uh, owners, how can they track them down? We got rid of the gun registry. Explain the difference here. Oh, well, first of all, restricted and prohibited firearms are still registered. It was only non-restricted long guns that were taken out of the registry. Prohibited and restricted firearms still have exactly the same trail of paperwork. You have to have this special license, the double license, so it's non-restricted and restricted in order to own these. A prohibited firearm, you have to be grandfathered back in ownership. Right now, it's about 20 years. There's uh, not there's not many of those, that. are there? No, there are not. And, of course, they're becoming less and less every year, which, of course, was the idea of grandfathering. Um, but these people have owned these prohibited firearms for at least two decades because you can't newly acquire a mm -hmm. prohibited firearm. So... Uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with people, with people who have a clear and long record of obeying the law. Um, they're, they're completely subject to the RCMP continuous eligibility system, whereby their firearms license is checked through every police computer in Canada once every day. Wow. I, I mean, they are amongst the most scrutinized and screened Canadians, second only to those who have access to official state secrets. <laughs> well, it's um, 
like I, like I've said before, it's easier to deal with uh, a problem. With, well, it's easier to deal with something when you know where it is than when you don't. And and the problem is they don't know how to deal with the gang, so they're coming after the the law-abiding guys. Uh, let's hope this is an idea that doesn't spread. Tony Bernardo, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure, Brian. Take care. Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. When we come back, we'll get to your calls. Five to one talk. Five to one eight two five five. Star 580 if you're on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. You want to email me? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. And if you happen to be on social media during the break, you can find all my stories, Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly or the Twitter machine, Twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. Back after this. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. All right, so I know sometimes I tell you scary stories about the Byward Market. It's really not a scary place. And during the break, during the news break, I went downstairs, went outside to to grab some fresh air and... Maybe a bag of chips. Let's be honest. I needed a bit of fat and salt in my life. Oh, how I've missed you, fat and salt. And I walk outside and just, just you know, right next door is beaver tails. And that's dangerous, right? Thankfully, the ice cream place isn't open yet, taunting me with ice cream I can't eat and hot dogs I want to eat too many of. But right outside of beaver tails, there's always a busker. And I was walking by, you know, this is guy just playing a beautiful version of uh, of the Dylan song. I can't remember the official name, but it's a, you know, it ain't me, babe. Is that the right, is that the right name? It might be. I've got it on Dylan's Greatest Hits on final. Uh, and, and it's just a beautiful night out. You can tell that maybe, just maybe, spring might be coming. Do you have thoughts on any of the issues that we've talked about tonight? 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you think that the Internet is a basic human right? Do you think that access to the Internet is up there with freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of association, uh, the right not to be detained, uh, or the right not to be subject to... um, Unusual search and seizure. Things like that. Is that where the internet is now? Do you really think that? 521-TALK. 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility. We also spoke at length with Matt Bufton about that. Also spoke to uh, to Rick Smith from the Broadband Institute about the whole issue of of what happened. Anthony Fury, we spoke to him about the, the issue of liberals backing what's in the Leap Manifesto. Yeah, you, you you have to pay attention, but if you do, you will find that liberals back what's in the leaked manifesto. If you thought it was just the socialists, well, okay, wake up and figure out that today's liberals are socialists. They're the NDP. Today's liberals are the NDP in a hurry. And they used to say the NDP were liberals in a hurry. No, today's liberals, they can't get there fast enough. Do you have thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. Now, uh, Alexandra wrote in, said, Brian, last podcast you had a pollster 
And of course, do listen to the show on podcast. If you can't catch it on any particular night, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever. Brian, last podcast, you had a pollster tell you that Mulcair lost in Quebec because of the NACAB issue, but Trudeau also supported the NACAB. After all, the Liberals are the party of multiculturalism. So why didn't his support tank in Quebec also then? Same issue, but only Mulcair loses. I can't figure this one out. Here's what happened. And polls will back me up on this, and you can track it as it goes week by week. What happened was the people that were driven by the NACAB issue in Quebec, they decided that they would go with Harper and the Conservatives or Duceppe and the Bloc, right? So they went to either Duceppe and the Bloc or Harper and the Conservatives. But either way, Mulcair's support tanked. Trudeau and the Liberals did not come up in Quebec right away. But the NDP went down. As that happened, the Liberals started to have a couple of good weeks. And then, progressive, and and I know some of you hate that I use that term, but let's teach people that progressive is a bad word. The progressives in the rest of the country, the lefties, looked around and said, okay, who will save us from Harper? And they decided that their savior, if it wasn't going to be Mulcair, would be Justin Trudeau. They started to back him. The liberals came up in Quebec late. That's the difference. I don't fully understand why Trudeau didn't take the drubbing in Quebec over the NACAB issue that Mulcair did, but it never happened. And they had a very full debate on the issue in the NACAB in Quebec, unlike in the rest of the country. You want to bring that issue back? 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. And, of course, the issue of what's happening at the Ottawa Carleton Detention Center. Gary Dimmick, one of the great crime reporters that we have left. You don't have to have sympathy for the guy that hunt himself this morning, but it is part of a pattern of weird things, bad things, bad management happening at the jail. Most of the residents of which have not actually been convicted of anything. So welcome your calls. Welcome your thoughts on this. Guy in the PN. You're on the you're on beyond the news. So Brian, would you call that strategic voting? What happened after the numbers went down for uh I abs- absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah. Lead now, which is one of the the main lefty groups and they're aligned with Open Media by the way, who's been calling for internet access to be a, a human right, which I'd like to talk about tonight. Lead now. They had a campaign that said, vote for whoever can defeat the conservative. Yep. And they would do polling, yep. and they would spend money, and they would campaign for whichever candidate they thought would beat the conservative. Yep. Well, with regards to open media today, and I've gleaned a lot of information from uh, CFRA, and that rewind segment that you guys have done is excellent because it really encapsulates some of the um, key points of the interviews. Um Brian, I'm going to debate you, and I'm actually going to agree with the guy from Open Media today because I thought that was an excellent interview, and a lot of people missed a couple of the nuances in it. What they're looking for is a mechanism by which the big telcos, who have really profited very well off the rollout of the infrastructure of Five and Fiber and, and Rogers, which is now returning to, to the, some of this to the Toronto Community Housing Projects, which I think is great, um, they should have to have a rollout strategy for the rural areas because it's not economically viable. We have to look at the Internet almost like the Postal Act of the 1800s because it is a right 
to have internet access. You know as no, well as not. I do. You drive no, it's 30, not. You drive 30 minutes outside of this city, Brian, and you go down in speed and you go up in price, and that is a okay. shame. Well, so I but, think there but, should hold be on, a mechanism. Guy. Hold on, guy. Yeah, go ahead. Don't make me put you on hold. No problem. You also pay a lot less for your house. You also have a, a lot more land mm-hmm. for a lower price. There are trade-offs in all of this. I'd like to have five acres. I want five acres in the middle of Ottawa. It's okay, my right. Let's state a real. Let's state a realistic point. Well, no, no, per, no. This is this is not. Hold yeah, on, but, guy. This, this is a realistic point. Why is my demand any less realistic than saying the big telcos have to spend huge amounts of money to service a smaller population right. in remote areas? I That's mean, if correct. I'm in Douglas, wh- wh- why should I? be able to demand the same services I get in downtown Ottawa if it's not economically viable to support it. Douglas is a tiny little town. So do you think it's fair that Netflix overhauls 40% of bandwidth in Canada and doesn't pay any of the infrastructure costs of that? that That's between Netflix and the companies providing the infrastructure. There's a couple of disruptions in this whole technology, Brian. Let's just agree with this. There's disruptions, but there is no human right... Yes, to there is. internet access, baloney the guy. Fact that fifty percent of next, you're going to tell are, me you have a right for me to provide you no, food. What I'm saying is it's wrong that fifty percent of the yeah. people who are low income how, how, how do is not it, have internet access. That not, is a shame. Bullcrap. Internet penetration in Canada is at over ninety percent. Well, fifty over ninety percent. Well, if then well, if you want to listen, to, if today, you want to listen to Acorn and Open Media, Open Media, go I ahead. Open Media, I thought, had some very good points. I think the CRTC has a huge opportunity here, and I think they should take it with regards the to CRTC the CRTC should be urban, disbanded. Right, out, the, the CRTC divide. should be disbanded. Oh, well, who's going to monitor the Internet? Who's going to make sure I don't that there's want anyone. I don't want anyone monitoring the Internet. Why so do I think, have to have a quality on the Internet? So you think it's fair that Netflix takes 40% of the bandwidth and has paid $0 to the Canadian internet infrastructure? Let me ask you a question, Guy. Why is Netflix taking 40% of the bandwidth? Because you're watching House of Cards. Because you're watching Orange is the New Black. Because you are watching whatever old rerun of a sitcom you used to watch 40 years ago. I don't watch Netflix, but they're gutting the broadcasting industry in Canada. And I think the CRTC Which is why Bell has launched... Crave, which is why Rogers yeah, and Telus has launched Show Me. They don't have the power of the U.S., Brian. I'm sorry, Bell's not a powerful company. No, they don't have the power, the programming selections that Netflix can draw from. Show Me, and they'll, they'll probably come up and they'll take their percentage. And you're right, Brian. The only reason that Show Me and Crave are around is because of Netflix. That was right. a very good statement you made tonight. But the fact that that guy from Open Media, I agree, there should be a mechanism that should make sure that the telcos have a plan to give the rurals higher speed, more affordable access than what is currently Look, available if, if in lo- these little islands or if local net at 70 bucks a month for 10 megabytes per second. It's just ridiculous. If local governments want to help subsidize private companies to come in, the that's up to them. But there is, the telcos uh, are a stakeholder. You're all, you're, all, the plan. you're all wet on this one. Thanks for the call. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, more of your calls. And if you want to argue with me like I did, tell me I'm wrong. We'll have it out. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So where do you stand on the issue of the Internet as a basic human right? Is it up there with freedom of speech? Is it up there with freedom of assembly, association? Do you agree with Guy that, yes, it it absolutely is a basic human right, or do you agree with sanity? If you agree with Guy, you can call in and I'll just, I'll just sit here and eat my chips cause, and my pretzels because, yeah, I, I bought two bags. We'll call it my shame stick. That's fine. But I'll have you on either way. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. How do you feel about what's happening at the Ottawa jail? It's taken off an awful lot of time on the airwaves here. I mean, not, not quite as much as my chip eating. But an awful lot of time on the airwaves here at CFRA. Do you care? Are you bothered? Are you nonplussed? Where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on how inmates who most of whom have not been convicted how do you where do you stand on how they're treated and how do you feel about the crazy leap manifesto working its way into liberal government policy call in on all of those 521 talk 521 star 580 on bell mobility alan in ottawa you're on beyond the news hi um you you said three topics you said air uh food and the internet you said the internet is not um, a it, human it, right. It's not a human right. Neither neither's food. Neither's water. Well, I I believe those two are. The reason I believe that is because you need those two to exist. Do you need the internet to exist? No. Okay, but if if food and and water are human rights, that means someone has to give them to you. No, no. What it what it means is they've got to be kept under. Uh, control uh like i okay I so the gov- the government has to control food and water the food, no no just the price not the food that's dangerous the price is what well and let me tell you i walked into harman's well the old harman's there and nearly had a stroke at some of their prices mm-hmm. i'm on limited income how can i afford to eat you know if the prices keep going up and my raises are like one percent well you can you know, there's a Sobeys within walking distance of the the old Hartmans. They're, they're a there's little bit a more lo- expensive than the, uh, Loblaws. There, there's a Loblaws down on Isabella Street. You call in yeah, from. I was down you, there too, and they're, they're, uh, you call in the Loblaws has changed. It's like their prices are almost identical. You call in from any part of the town. I'll I'll, I'll tell you where the the grocery stores are. You can come down to the Byward Market, buy your groceries at Giant Tiger. Uh, there's great uh, I prices. I do, and I buy them at Freshco too. There's there's great but great prices at uh, the... at Bottega across the street. Bottega is also a little bit on the pricey side. Oh, but, it, it's uh, cheaper than an awful lot of other places. Believe me, it, I, it I am a price conscious shopper. So, uh, if you are on a limited income, and I've been there, you have to be able to shop. You can't just go to one shop and exp- and, and eat whatever you feel like are, that day. Are handicapped or don't have a bus pass or can't afford a bus pass because they're not on ODSP, which gives you limited, well, which gives you access to a cheaper bus pass. It's getting hard. It's getting very, very hard. And and I get that. And as a a friend's mother, and this is a friend who grew up in in a in a well-to-do area of town, and it did not want. But you know what she used to say? You want to know what's for dinner? Look in the flyer and see what's on sale. 
And that that's how they shop for everything. They didn't have to, but it's how they were able to make ends meet and have that that's little bit I extra to, to, to go over. So, look, food's not a human right. I, I don't. I, I simply, I simply do not believe in positive rights because if you accept positive rights, then you accept that someone has to provide it for you or control it for you. And when government starts controlling food, Alan, if you think the price is high now, wait until government is in charge of determining what the price of beef is. Wait until government is in charge of determining what the price of bread is, or well, anything else. All right, eggs today were three ninety nine. That's the cheapest I could find in that in Loblaws. Okay, three ninety nine for do, a dozen eggs. Do, do you know that eggs are part of the supply management system, which means the government has a hand in prices? You know what's not chicken. That's oh, no, what sorry, I for sorry, chick, chicken is beef's not, pork's not, chicken and eggs are. Uh, milk, no. milk is part of the supply management system that drives up the price. Well, something's got to be done because, I mean, we well, can't afford it, to have the get prices the, keep going up. Get the government out of the way. Let people compete. If I wanted to open a chicken farm tomorrow and sell eggs, I would have yes. a hard time doing that I know. due to all the regulation. If I wanted to say, Alan, you deserve cheaper eggs, I wouldn't be able to do that. Well, the whole world deserves cheaper eggs. Well, the, the, way, the way to get cheaper eggs is not to regulate the price. It is not to have government in control of your food supply because you will go hungry before they ever get you cheaper eggs. All right. Well, I just thought to give you my opinion. Yeah, and, and I welcome that. But, but honestly, we have to realize that government is not the answer to higher prices. Government is not the answer to our problems. Government is often the problem itself. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Alan. This is just before uh, the law boss said to do a big expansion. It, well, and y- you know what? Uh, there are food prices that are cheaper now or close to what I was paying 20 years ago. Those are not in the areas that are controlled by government and controlled by the cartels. Thanks for the call. we got to run. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Mike in Ottawa. Taz, we'll get to your call soon. You want to join the conversation? 521-TALK. 521-8255. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. This is one of those songs I just want to listen to the music. I don't want to talk. Listen to the tunes, man. You've changed. You used to be about the music. What are your thoughts on the Internet as a basic human right? Is it up there with food? Do you want the government controlling your Internet price? How did that go for long distance? Do you remember what long distance used to cost back when everything was regulated? Hmm. Think about that. Mike in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hold on. Let me hit the buttons right, Mike. There we go. Mike, you're on now. Uh, let me give you a different perspective on it. Given that they're dumbing down our children in school, they don't have to learn to write anymore. They don't have to learn the times table. Okay? They don't have to learn anything about what the government tells them. The mainstream media is liberal propaganda. This you is all true, the, yes. You don't get 
the other side of the, the viewpoint. So our children have all bought into the myth of global warming because they don't know how to think anymore. They don't know how to reason for themselves. They're just told what to believe. Given that, I think everybody needs the Internet. Whether it should be human right, I don't know, but everybody needs to have the Internet. We have to have an alternative source to try and get our news. Well, then pay for it. Your children grow Pay up. for it. Huh? Then well, pay, we for, pay it. for it. Okay, so, but, but all they, these, these guys want $10 Internet. Yes. For because 25 megabytes a second. Why? The poor can't. Okay, get, I'll let you give me an example. I'll give you an example. Okay? I had the Internet, uh, okay, from, from, from Bell. But they limit your bandwidth, 85 gigabyte. okay? Costs you 60 bucks a month, okay? I went over 10 gigabyte. Mm-hmm. I got my bill. You know what they charged me for going over 10 gigabyte? $85. People cannot afford that. Well, uh, I, I know I've been on all the big ones. And I switch when the deals change, and I can tell you that each of them will offer a kind of like a, a safety net. If you go over, you don't pay more than this. Okay. But you have to agree to that ahead of time. Okay. And, is- and once I got burned by that once with the big charges that you're talking about, I absolutely signed up for it. Okay. You don't and pay for is- it unless you use it. This is how they do it, okay? They say, well, package your Internet and your TV and your telephone, and we'll charge you $139 a month. But you have to have a two-year contract, okay? So you say, okay. So your first bill is 139. Your next bill is 159. Your next bill is 179. My and bill you hasn't gone up. up. And you know what they say? Well, it depends on the time of month we build you. Well, no, you build me month to month. My bill has not gone up in two years, Mike. You know what, Rogers? Bell don't do it so much, but Rogers are the worst for doing it, okay? I, 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 I don't want to get into bashing anyway, companies, even the competition. I don't want to get into that right now. I don't want right to now. go there either. All but, I'm saying... All I'm saying is poor people, and there's a lot of poor people. See, they lie to us. They use the average wage, which is skewed, okay, because they don't take the, the $350,000 a year wage earners out. So it skews the average, okay? We all know that the median income is around $26,000 a year, okay? There's a lot of poor people in this country. What they don't want to paint a picture of, they don't want us to know. They pretend everybody's rich and everybody's doing really good. No, most people are poor. No, that, that that's factually incorrect. Factually well, incorrect, and I can incorrect. I, well, I can prove it. I'll I'll bring up the numbers in the next commercial break. I'll read them out for you. How many people fit within each income bracket based on the number of tax filers? No, because you're going by the averages. No, I'm not. I'm going by the number of tax filers in each income bracket, not averages. The number of tax filers by income bracket. Okay, you do that. But anyway, I'm just saying, look, at people need an alternative source to get their news from, not mainstream media. Okay, the Internet is a major communication tool now. Everybody should have so, a right to well, it in the so, sense they so shouldn't what, have Mike? to pay so government what? prices to get it. The phone, the phone a used to be... gigabyte of bandwidth is nonsense. The phone used to be the only way that we were able to communicate. Nobody declared the phone a human right. And I had to decide whether this was something that I was going to pay for. See, and that's would, would I would I call home to my mother, Brian? That's or, another or thing. Would you're I, good or at. would I pay the you're other saying, bills? You know what? When my great granddaddy walked to school, he had the walk. No, I'm talking about miles. me. You should walk too. That's nonsense. I'm talking that's a nonsensical about nonsensical argument. I'm talking about me, Mike. You don't think I've had to make choices on whether to feed myself, feed my kids, feed my family? 
You know what? Or pay that for other bills? Great. I'm on a pension. I'm on a pension. When you're on a pension, you're stuck. You're on a pension, okay? You don't get no more. That's it. You get what you get. The, the pension rates in Canada have not changed since 1982. The welfare rates in Canada have not changed since 1982. How high has the price risen since then? I go in the grocery store now, and I do shop around. I have to shop around, okay, because you cannot afford the food anymore. And it keeps going up and up and up, okay? They're telling us, well, just, you know what? Don't think, okay? We'll just dumb you down. You don't have to write. You don't have to learn math. You don't have to learn nothing. Okay, we'll just provide everything for you. What do you think well, is going on already? So if you turn around and say the Internet's a human I'm right, you've got to... up the yin-yang uh, for it. Mike, if you turn around and say the government will provide the Internet, how's that any better? I'm not saying they should provide the Internet. I'm just saying if you're saying it's a have human... access to if, that form of media. If you're saying... It's, it, it's necessary today, okay? Well, and if you're saying it... you're dumbing our children down because if you're they saying, want them all on the Internet. If you're saying it's a human right, then someone has to provide it. Or regulate the price. Well, I'm that, not going that far that, to say it's a human right. That okay. Well, just, th- thanks for the call, Mike. We're out of time. Got to go to Taz. Thanks for the call, Taz in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Yes, um, yes. This is my first time calling you. Um, I, I, I guess I'm all over the place. Uh, I know that guy was going all over the place as well, but you know, I'm not sure if I'm for uh, price controls. I don't think I would go for that. Um, but I also don't think that making a deal with City Living, which they did in Toronto, is either fair for my mother, who is also, uh, and anybody else like myself, who are also in low income. Uh, we don't get uh, special deals, but because they're in social housing, they get a special deal. I don't think that's fair. Well, I mean, this is part of the problem. I mean, they've got to figure out a way to cut it off, and so the companies under pressure said, okay, we'll give it to people in social housing. Well, See, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not in social housing, but you're saying, I'm still struggling, you're sitting exactly. there saying, I've got to pay the full price. But, I mean, do, do you want to set up a whole apparatus so that you have to go into the company and they've got to have people there to determine your means test and your income level to decide if you can afford their product? Uh, Brian, I don't know if that's possible. I was thinking about that. That, that. that would you... be very expensive. It would be expensive for the company, and I think everybody else's prices would go up. So I would go there with my income statement or my tax filings. They would look at it and say, okay, you can get this deal. I think that's, that, that, that's pretty interesting if they could pull that off. But uh, it, sure it, it, would drive, it would drive up the cost. Let it me would, tell for everybody you. else. And that's the other thing I'd like to ask you about. Um, we have the highest Internet rates in the world. What 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 do you say to someone who's a capitalist or maybe a free market who says, okay, you know, if you look at the other poor countries, they probably have it much much cheaper. How, how would you open it up? I mean, that that's something that maybe we should talk about instead of oh, we should subsidize certain people. Why don't we talk about having a complete free market of having much more uh, competition and having maybe fifteen twenty dollars, maybe even less. Pe- for, pe- uh, people that do not work in the. Uh, broadcast or media industry don't realize how regulated we are. And the fact is, Taz, that drives up the price. I'm not saying this because I am on a Bell Media radio station. I'm not saying because they don't tell me what to say about anything. I'm saying this because I've worked in this industry for more than 15 years and I know that all these regulations add to compliance costs, and you've got to hire a manager for this, and you've got to hire a manager for that. All these people that don't actually provide the service, be it radio content or TV content or Internet, it doesn't do any of that. And yet you've got to 
comply with all these regulations, drives up the cost, so you end up paying for these things. If we opened it up in, in a free market way, you're right. That would drive down the cost. Somebody would be able to say, hey, you know what? I, I'll sell you cheaper Internet. You want cheaper Internet, Taz? I'll give it to you. I think people, yeah, and the thing is that, uh, you know, we, we're not going to get any more art funding or uh, we're not going to get any more movies made in Canada or more television shows because the competition completely killed it. That's what I think some people are saying. I'm not, I'm not I, 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 again, I can't see how that's going to work out, but uh, a lot of people say the CBC would be completely destroyed. CTV would be destroyed. There would be no Canadian content. It would be just be American, European. Um, that's that's basically what I'm hearing. Uh, 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 okay, let, let let me give you another narrative then. If you believed the the received wisdom, then there was no media in Canada until CBC came along. Let me tell you that in the early 1900s, before 1920. There were radio stations popping up across this country, and you can read about this in my book, CBC Exposed, which mainly deals with the the sins of the state broadcaster. But I get into some of the history of our broadcasting industry. And the fact is, there were radio stations, this is the days before TV, there were radio stations across the country producing Canadian content. And some of the, the early CBC stars that you still hear about, like Don Messer's Jubilee, they all started out. Hockey Night in Canada started out on our sister station in Toronto. News Talk 1010 CFRB, they carried Foster Hewitt's Hockey Night in Canada broadcasting Maple Leaf games across the Canadian Pacific Railway line coast to coast. That was almost a decade before CBC came into existence. And, And the fact is, CBC came into existence thanks to a conservative government led by R.B. Bennett. That's another story. But then CBC came into existence. Then they made them the regulator before the CRTC. You know that we had TV decades later than the United States and Britain because they had to get everything in order before they would let us watch TV. And so Canadians just started buying TV sets and tuning into what was coming across the uh, from the U.S. because there was no Canadian TV because the government was in control of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. Canadian be- content will exist whether the government regulates it or not, because Canadians want to hear about Canadian stories. If I was on here talking about Donald Trump all night, would you listen? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I mean, it depends. But at some point, you'd want to hear something about Ottawa or Ontario or Canada, right? I want to have choice at the same time. Yes, I do. I agree. I want to have choice. I'd like to see maybe your rebel tv on 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 shaw you know shaw cable maybe maybe you guys can do a deal with them or do a deal with somebody else i mean there was global at one time they kind of diminished uh i'm actually worried about that it look i mean the fact is sun news would still be around if it weren't for the regulator i gotta run i'm up against the commercial break thanks for the call taz no problem all the best i'm brian Lilly. this is beyond the news you want to get on the air five two one talk five two one eight two five five star 580 on bell mobility You want to tell me I'm all wet on these things? Call in now. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Yep. Chowing down on some pretzels 
Thankfully, unlike the chips I was eating earlier, pretzels are low fat. The chips I had earlier were full fat. So let me see. Phone service, internet service, my electricity, uh, natural gas. I'm just going through and trying to think of all the services I've had cut off because I couldn't afford to pay the bill because I screwed up in my own finances because I couldn't make enough money. Well, my cell phone, but my phone service generally, yeah. Um, and nobody ever said, oh, Enbridge, yeah. Got to make Enbridge. Got to make natural gas a basic human right because we live in Canada and it's freaking cold most of the year. Now, there's rules about when they can cut off heating and when they can't. They, you know, There are restrictions on cutting off heating in the middle of winter. But you know, Mike got upset with me earlier, saying, well, you talk about your grandpappy. No, let's talk about me. Let's talk about me. You can call in and say you're low income all you want. I get it. And I've worked hard not to be low income. And if you're there or you're on a fixed income, on a pension, I feel for you. But there's still lots of things that I want that I can't get, that I cannot afford. Declaring them to be a basic human right does not make them something that I must receive. We need to get back to basics of understanding what is a right, what is not a right. What is something that is a want versus a need. I love all these stories about how the middle class is struggling and yet there's more houses than ever that have quartz and granite countertops. You've got to have them now. Who the heck has laminate on their counters? <laughs> laminate. That's so 1970s. What's wrong with laminate? And yet I will talk to people who tell me they're struggling to get by. They got granite countertops. Look, if you can afford it, great. But don't tell me you're struggling. When you're installing the fanciest new gear, new equipment in your house. Those are your own choices. Gloria in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Um, I just want to talk uh, about the medical care that these um, two um, people in jail did not receive. And I heard on the radio that, that the 27-year-old uh, man uh, who hung himself, he, apparently he was on a suicide watch. No, no, he was not. Not according to Gary Demick and Andrew Seymour at the Ottawa Citizen. Oh, I did hear it on the radio. Uh, I'll check on that. I'll check with our newsroom. I was reading uh, Gary's copy earlier. They said he was uh, what I understood, and Mm -hmm. I'll I'll check with the guys in the newsroom in a minute, was that he was not on a suicide watch, Mm. but he was still supposed to be checked every 20 minutes. Now, the other gentleman that died, and you called in when the other gentleman that was sleeping in the shower died, Mm -hmm. I said, look, it doesn't look like there's any. His death is related to him sleeping on the shower, and it turns out he died of natural causes. Well, the thing is, uh, this was uh, an article in the paper. Uh, the family was interviewed. Apparently, he he was a diabetic. 
And if and if you don't uh, get your your proper dose of insulin, you will go into a diabetic coma and you well, will die. Well, it, it all depends on what type of diabetic. That's right. Either, he, either he's either one or two. But I, still, I'm well versed in this. Yeah. Happen to be married to a diabetic. I, uh, I know all right about on, it. Right on. But so, uh, so, you still need to be looked after, you know. Y- and, y- and yes, have... you do. And, and um, But it would be, I would be shocked to find out that someone died due to diabetes. And that would not be considered natural causes. No, of course not. That's, that, that is my point exactly. So, you know? yeah, I mean, we, we need to be concerned about what's happening at the jail, Gloria. Yes. We need to hold Minister Nackvi to account. For we sure. need to hold the management to account. Yeah. But we also need to make sure that we're not just shrieking when something happens. No, and, I agree. And, and what's really concerning to me mm-hmm. about this man that, that hung himself, and I, you know, it, we'll never find out was he guilty or or not as to the charges he was facing, but the evidence was pointing towards guilt. He wasn't, he wasn't scheduled to go to jail for more than another year. Yes, I know. And he was arrested yeah. in 2014, three years to get to a trial. That's too long. That is not speedy justice. No. I just want to ask you, why was he being watched every 20 minutes then? If it, he wasn't on the, on the, on the, on the I believe anybody in solitary is supposed to be checked on every 20 minutes. Hmm. My, that's my understanding. Hmm. All it is is that just that it, 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 uh, proper medical care should uh, has nothing to do uh, with what a person's charged with, uh, but, I, but I, they should receive and, it. And, and I agree on that, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Thanks for joining me tonight. And in the meantime, you want to, uh, to stay abreast of what I'm doing, what I'm talking about. Make sure you do check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You can get that on the Internet without it being declared a basic human right. The podcast will be up later on tonight. If you like what you heard tonight, share it with others. Share it with others so that you can spread the word. And follow me on the Twitter machine as well, twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. And you can email beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Thanks for listening tonight. Remember, I'm on your side.